Acts chapter 17, verse 5 is where we're going to pick up. It says, But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men uh, of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and then they attacked attack the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. Verse 6, And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities. Now, just a, rem- a reminder of what we looked at last week. They went to Thessalonica. They, they led some prominent Greek women to the Lord. They led some leaders of the city to the Lord. There, there were some Jews they led to the Lord. I mean, there was, God had done a great work there. And uh, these people weren't happy because they were messing up their lives. They were less, messing up their culture with the gospel that focuses on Jesus instead of stuff and self and, and the world. And they didn't like them. They didn't like this and they didn't like these men. So they said, you know what, we're going to get rid of these guys. We're, we're going to stir up this mob. We're going to go in and find them and we're going to drag them out. But they couldn't find them. So they go to Jason's house and they dragged him and some of the other brothers before the city authorities. And they were shouting these things. These men have turned the world upside down. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Again, what a, what a powerful statement. What a powerful testimony that the, this, these first believers had. They, these, these people had so affected this city, had so affected the culture, that they wanted them gone. They said, they, they, they made the statement that they had been turning the world upside down, and now they were in their city, and they didn't like it. I pray that we would have that type of passion. I pray that we would have that type of effect as the salt and the light in this community. That, man, it, it would stir things up. It would cause that, that's That's the thing that we need to understand as well. We're not looking to cause problems, but the gospel is offensive to a sinful world. And people aren't going to like to hear it all the time. They came there and they stirred things up because they were sharing the gospel. And Jason has received them, they said. This guy has housed them, and they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, and here's the reason why we have a problem with them, so they said. They're, they're saying there's another king, Jesus. Isn't that interesting we just sang that song? You can't plan that. That's the Lord. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. They didn't, they didn't want to mess up. They didn't want to rock the boat with Rome. They didn't want to have any issues here. So they, this, this point specifically, that's what happened in Jerusalem with Jesus too. They didn't like this. And so when they had taken money as security from Jason, that's bond. They, they, they held him caught, captive and they said, look, you know, you want to get out of jail, you got to pay us bond. So they, they took money and from the rest they let them go. Look what happens in verse 10. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. This is kind of the, our first inclination. Some of these things are first inclinations of the underground church, which still exists today. In persecuted, persecuted countries, this is how the church operates. They got, they, they, they got out of town by night, and when they had arrived in Berea, they went into the Jewish synagogue. We've seen this along the way. Every, every city they go to, this is what they do. We talked about it, right spiritual disciplines. It says this, now these Jews there in Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So again, there's a, there's a lot to say. We could go into greater detail about these, these Bereans. Um, but they were people who were dedicated to the scriptures. And so when the gospel came that connected the scriptures to the gospel, the good news that Jesus is the Messiah, look what happens. 
Many of them believed, verse 12. Not only that, but not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. And that's just another way to say there was a lot of men and a lot of women that were Greeks that believed along with these prominent, studious Jews. But I want you to look at where the story turns yet again. Verse 13. But when the Jews from Thessalonica... Now think about this. Thessalonica is where they went to Jason's house. They dragged Jason out of his house. They were looking for Paul and Silas and, and the rest of the team because they, they wanted to make a display of them. They wanted to get rid of them. They, they didn't like the fact that they were disturbing their earthly lives their culture, their lifestyle. They didn't like any of those things. So they didn't want them to continue doing that in their part of the world. And so when they go to Berea and this, this, the Word of God continues to abound, people continue to get saved, uh, communities are continually changing, word gets back to Thessalonica. Look what happens. And they learned that the Word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also. They came there too. <laughs> agitating and stirring up the crowds. So what had to happen from there? The brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. They sent him to, to, to get out of Dodge again. But Silas and Timothy remained there. Verse 15, those who con, uh, conducted Paul brought him as far as to Athens after receiving a command from Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible. They departed. Now I don't know if you, you're, you're picking up exactly what's happening in the story but think about this. Paul and his team go into Thessalonica. God does an amazing work. People are getting saved. Prominent people in the city are getting saved. There's a lot of good things happening for the kingdom of God. And the people that are running the city and the people that are business people and the cultural people, they didn't like it. And so word got out that they were wanting to do something to Paul and Silas and Timothy and the rest of the team. And so they had to get out of there. They snuck them out of the night, went to Berea. They do the thing with Jason, drag him into, in front of the authorities, threaten him, get money from him. But in Berea, the same thing's happening. And the Thessalonican people go to Berea. That's not their city. But they go to Berea, and they stir up the crowd again. They, 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 they make them agitated again, and they, this attack is just a perpetual attack against this team. And, and it just is something that comes to the surface. It's very obvious. It's something that's so important for us to remember as we are trying to serve the Lord, and this is what I was saying earlier, is this, point number one. We are in a battle against a relentless enemy. We are in a battle against a relentless enemy. Think about how, I mean, how much effort does it take for them to leave their city, to go to another city, to just stir up a crowd because of a message that these people are, are teaching. I mean, what, how did it really affect their lives? Why was it that big of a problem is, is some of the questions people may ask. We have to understand there's an enemy behind that effort. And he's a very clear enemy. Some of you may remember what Jesus told those hard-hearted religious Jews and, and specifically those those leaders, those religious leaders in John chapter 8, he said this, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. 
He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. The, the, the enemy, Satan himself, is willing to use anybody and everybody who makes themselves available to be used for his kingdom, the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of the, this world, the God of this world, the prince and the power uh, uh, of the air. So this, this right here, these, these Jews who had rejected the gospel, the Bible calls them not only just enemies, but specifically enemies of the cross. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, Brethren, join and follow my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern that you have in us. Is, is, pay attention to those who are following Christ as we're following Christ. He says this, because I, I tell you, there's many who walk, I've told you this often, now I tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the, cro uh, enemies of, of the cross of Christ. And here's the explanation of who these people are. Whose end is their destruction, whose God is their appetite, their belly, their earthly appetite, whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. He said, because there's a difference between them and us. See, our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even uh, that he has even to subject all things to himself. Again, Satan is relentless. Satan w is not interested in stopping. He, uh, he will use anything, and as I said, he will use anyone to stop the cause of Christ. What is the cause of Christ? Jesus said what clearly his, his cause was. In Luke chapter 19, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Satan is our relentless enemy. He's been at this attack on God's kingdom, on the gospel, for thousands of years. And I want you to hear something this morning. He has the thought for some reason that the end, according to God, is wrong. I don't know why he has that thought, but it's, it's obvious in the fact that he hasn't stopped, right? You would think that after all the millions and, and maybe billions of people throughout the church history that have been saved, you would think after all of the miracles that God has done, after all of the, 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 the just amazing works that have happened, all of the prophecy that has been fulfilled, you would think at some point Satan would be like, all right, I get it, I'm going to lose, you know. You would think at some point Satan would, would say, Oh, man, I, I can't do anything to take their soul. I can't do it. It's not, the, the ultimate goal at the end is not worth it for me. I'll just stop. You would think at some point, right, if you knew you were on the losing team and you had no hope of ultimate success, you knew you were going to lose. Would you keep going? I, I don't know about you, but if, if someone came to you, it, it came to me at the beginning and said, look, we, we want you to do this, but you're going to lose. And here's the reason why. And here's all the evidence why. And here's, Here's how it's going to happen, and you have no option, you have no hope, you're going to lose. My inclination would be like, well, I don't want to play. <laughs> I don't want to do it. I, I mean, if, you're if, if I, that's the evidence, but for some reason, he's not willing to give up. And maybe he thinks that he can just spoil as much as possible until then. Maybe that's his motivation. I'll just ruin as many lives and as much as I possibly can. 
until the end. As a master deceiver, he himself is deceived, though. Ezekiel chapter 28, we see it says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre, which is a a reference to to Satan, and say to him, Thus saith the Lord God, You are the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, sardis, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in in your midst, and you sinned, so I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, a guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. By the multitude of your iniquities and the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. So I brought fire out from your midst. It consumed you, and I turned you into ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have come to a dreadful end and shall be no more forever. Satan has, has had this, this great fall, and he has this great end that is already told. It's already foretold. It's already prophesied. It's going to happen. Isaiah chapter 14, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mountain, uh, the mountain of assembly in, far, in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you're brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Again, his battle against us has been since we have existed as men from the garden. And there's a very specific aim I believe he has for the family of God. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise him on the heel. See, he believes that his work has always been worth it. That he has the ability and the power to succeed. Revelation chapter 12 tells us that his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she gave birth he might devour her child. And and the great dragon, verse 9, was thrown down, the serpent of old who was called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. It's described in Luke chapter 10, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. We know he's a liar. We know that he steals. We know that he comes to kill and destroy. That's what John chapter 10 verse 10 says. His plan is clear, but we need to remember that it is confined. We see this in the life and the example of Job. I'm going to read this scripture because I think it's so important for us to remember. There was a man in the name of Uz, whose name was Job, and that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. Seven sons and three daughters were born to him. 
His possessions were also 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. And that man was the greatest of all the men of the east. His sons used to go out and hold a feast in, in the house of each one on his day. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When the days of feasting had completed their cycle, Job would send and consecrate them, rising up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of all of them. For Job said, Perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. He was doing this on behalf of his family. But there was a day the sons of God came to present themselves for the Lord. And Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? And Satan, it's not that God was you know, wondering, he knew where he was, but for this purpose. Satan answered him, said, from roaming about the earth and walking around. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? For there's no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. And Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? Is, is there a reason why Job fears you? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions, have increased the land. I mean, the, no wonder Job fears you. Look at his life. I mean, he's it's, it's perfect and protected. He's blessed. He has all kinds of possessions. I mean, he, somebody looks at Job's life and says, whew, I wish I was like Job. Satan said, but you put forth your hand now and touch all that he has, and I, I promise you that he'll curse you to your face. Isn't that interesting? What does it take for the enemy to touch in our life for our heart, our mind, our life to get set off course. Our finances, our health, our relationships, what does he have to touch? Satan came and said, look, Job, yeah, Job's serving you. He fears you. He sacrifices to you. He worships you. He's, he's devoted to you. But look at all the blessings that Job has. But you, you, you touch his life. And he'll turn from you, God. The Lord said to Satan, okay, behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not pull forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. From, from, from the beginning, Satan has wanted to destroy God's plan and God's people. While we don't know all the whys in life, it's obvious that sometimes, as we've even seen in our study, that we are vessels and in our trials, our difficulty is simply to bring a blessing to someone else. Some of you know what happens to Job. He ends up losing everything. God eventually allows his own body to be touched. And all this, the Bible said, Job sinned not. Even his own wife told him, look, curse God and die. You're a miserable man. concerning our part in the battle against Satan. Said, man, if Job was this perfect guy, had everything going in his life, and we see all these people that God has attacked, the Apostle Paul, all these people, I mean, I'm nobody. I'm, I'm a 21st century nobody who's not a super strong Christian in the first place. What is my, I mean, how in the world am I going to make it against this battle against Satan? I think it's important for us to remember that we do have a primary responsibility. Knowing that we're no match for him, Knowing that he's been at his craft for thousands, think about that again. He's been at his work for thousands of years, and we've only been at our Christian walk and, and, and walking with the Lord, maybe some of us, 
a few decades, maybe a handful of decades for some. But Satan's been at his work, he's been at his craft for thousands of years. I think it's important for us to first of all admit and act on the truth that there is no way we could face him on our own. There's no way. There's not a person in here, I don't care how long and how strong you, you've been a Christian, in your own strength, nobody in here, and not all of us together on our own, can match the strength of Satan. So what's our primary responsibility? 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, be sober-minded and watchful. Be alert. Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And here's how you do it. You resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by the brotherhood throughout the whole world. You say, man, nobody knows what I'm going through. Listen, I promise you there's probably at least one person somewhere in God's kingdom on this earth that, that's going through something similar as you. He says, you know that the same kinds of sufferings that you're experiencing are experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who's called you into his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore and confirm and strengthen and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. We stay alert. We stay in tune with the fact that Satan is lurking. And he's lurking relentlessly. He's not willing to stop. He's not willing to give up. He's not going to, he's not going to quit coming at your family. He's not going to quit coming at your whatever struggle is. He's not going to quit it. He may wait a little while. He may come at a different angle. He said, I mean, this is kind of nerve-wracking. This is kind of scary. It's kind of uh, making me anxious and worried. And listen, just stay with me. Our responsibility is to be sober, be watchful, but stand firm on our faith in Christ. Stand firm on our faith in Christ. Stand firm on our faith in Christ. Stay faithful. Stay the course. I'll put this in your notes because I think it's so important for us to remember that our faith doesn't change Satan's plans or God's promises. But it does determine what we'll experience. Satan's got a plan and our faith in Christ doesn't change his plan. God has promises that are eternal, and our faith doesn't change the promises that God has already declared. But our faith does determine whether we're going to experience falling in line with what Satan's plan is, or if we're going to walk in the promises that God has already given us. That's how important our faith is through it all. That's why we need to be encouraged to keep going, because point number two we are in a battle alongside an unstoppable victor. We are in a battle alongside an unstoppable victor. Well, I said a while ago, there's not, not me, not any person, not any leader, not nobody in this church individually, even us collectively, without the help of Almighty God, without the help of our Savior, none of us have any hope in the battle against Satan. But that's where our hope and encouragement comes from. We are in a battle together with an unstoppable victor. Amen. I love that song we sing, There is a King seated among us. Why did Paul and his team have to escape? Why, 
why, that, that's a question that came to mind in this. Why did they have to escape, escape only to keep doing what put them in jeopardy in the first place? Right? That's what happened. They snuck them out of Thessalonica, went to Berea, and you would think, they say, okay, guys, well, that was a close call. We almost got thrown in prison again. Let's cool our jets a little bit. No, they went to Berea, did the same exact thing that has put them in jeopardy all along the way. They continue going. And the reason why I believe they did that is because they were compelled to do that. They couldn't do anything else. Hey, we're going to shut down your church. Well, we're going to keep going. Hey, you know, you're going to be thrown. No, we're going to keep going. Why would you do that? Because they were compelled to. We're not going to cover it because of time, and you've seen a lot of the scriptures, there's still more scriptures to come. But I encourage you to read 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and chapter 5. Chapter 4 talks about we have this treasure in earthen vessels that goes down that, that our, 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 our light affliction is but for a moment, but it worketh for us a far more exceeding weight in, in, in eternity of glory. Uh, and then chapter 5, it gets into some very excellent lessons. It drives in the motivation for what they were doing and why they were doing it. As he was writing to the Corinthians, the Holy Spirit inspiring him to say these words in verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us. That's what's compelling us. That's, what's con that's what is controlling our going from one city and our life being in jeopardy to going to the next city and continuing to do that. It's the love of Christ that's controlling us because we've concluded this. This is what we've come to. That one has died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. That's the motivation, I believe. And I've shared that along this study. I believe that's why Paul said we're not going to stop. Hey, Paul, don't you think you should chill out a little bit? In Thessalonica, that was a close call. We had to escape by night. I mean, you think we should go right immediately to the, to the synagogue and immediately start preaching, the, uh, you know, Jesus Christ? I think Paul said, if that was the question, I think Paul said, absolutely. Why would we not? The love of Christ is controlling us. We're no longer ourselves. If, if, if us being faithful to the mission and the commission costs us our life, then praise be to God that we get to share in his affliction and share even in the sufferings of his death. Because he died for us so that we would no longer live for ourselves. So in view of Christ's indescribable and incomparable love, I think the, the, the truth was how could Paul and how could we not continue to serve with and for an unstoppable victor? And it is with him to the same church he wrote in 1 Corinthians, for we are God's fellow workers, we're co-workers together with God. You're God's field, God's building according to the grace of God that's given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid the foundation, someone else is building upon it. But let each one take care of how he builds upon. No one can lay a foundation other than which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on, the found, on that foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hand, stubble, each one's work will become manifest, manifest because the day will disclose it, what kind of work it is, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, then there will be a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. We're serving with an unstoppable victor. 
Don't be discouraged. Satan's coming after you. He's not going to stop coming at you. Don't be discouraged. Be encouraged because the Lord is on our side. We are serving him and serving with him. He's not left us alone. Uh, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Matthew chapter 28, in that commission, when he said, go into all the world and do this until I come again, he says, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even till the end of the age. Never going to leave you. Matthew chapter 10, a disciple is not above his teacher nor a slave above his master. It's enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house, which they did, Jesus, the Elzebub, how much more will they malign the members of his household? If they, if, they, if they despise Jesus, how much more will you be despised? Therefore, do not fear them. There's nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. And what, what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the house thoughts. Do not fear those who can kill the body. Don't feel, fear a government or a king. Don't fear a person or a people or an army. Don't feel, fear those who can kill the body but are unable to kill the soul. Rather, you need to live your life in fear of him who is able to destroy both, destroy both body and soul in hell. And then he explains it like this, are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father knowing it. The very numbers of your head are all numbered. So do not fear. You're more valuable than many sparrows. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I'm come to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. That's why he said what he said before. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Well, I would die for my kids. Amen. Would you die for your Lord? He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. I love the great promise that he said to his people, and specifically talking to Peter. He said, you are Peter, and on this rock, this little stone, I'll build my church. I'm sorry, you are Peter, you're a little stone, and on this rock himself, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Again, I think it's important that we have the same courage that Paul and his team had. And I think that we can have that. I think that we can have that same dedication and the same fruit to the glory of God because we too can be motivated by the same love of Christ that they were. And I think that we can do this because we know, just as Satan knows he's on the losing side, we know we're on the winning side. Because we know that Christ will never fail us and will never lose. We know that even in every trial and every attack that we may face, even when it feels like Satan himself is coming directly at us, we know that ultimately it's for the glory of God. And we know that through that, 
God is in control. He is the unstoppable victor. It's, it's, it's things in, in God's word that, that help us have that mindset, that help us have that faith, that help us have that encouragement. Things like Psalm chapter 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. Where? In the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, it's surely the case that goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If you were here Sunday night, Brother Tony Perez preached, and he preached out of Psalm 46, a great message, and I'm just going to read verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help, a present help right now, and trouble. Therefore, we'll not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the, the seas, its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, we're not going to fear. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy habitation of the Most High God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on earth. He makes wars to cease uh, to the end of the earth, he breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Listen, I don't know about you, but knowing that we are in his camp, on his team, in his army, and he's the unstoppable victor, man, should not only give us courage, but it should give us joy in the fight. And I'm not going to be proud and, 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 and boastful and say, you know what, Satan, bring it on. I'm not going to say that, but I'm going to hide in Jesus' wings and say, bring it on, Satan, you know. <laughs> He's the unstoppable victor. We are in, look, the, the end's already written. We can have joy in the fight. We're on the winning side. I love that. I mean, how, how many, uh, how many I, I'm not into gambling. I don't, even, I don't even know the numbers. Like the, I know they call over, under. I, I have no idea about any of that stuff. But what would you think the over, under is for Satan and God in this war, right? I mean, it's an impossible, there are impossible odds for Satan. God has already won. It's not that he, he will win one day. He already won. He's the unstoppable victor. So we know with all this, the enemy will keep coming. Well, probably before, we, before some, some of us even get out of this parking lot, the enemy's going to come. Maybe even before you leave this room, he's coming. Oh, man, I wasn't expecting that. But we have our victorious king. And I want you to remember, the enemy's time is coming. And his time now is numbered and it's short. Let that encourage you. Revelation chapter 12, verse 12. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows 
that his time is short. And I'm going to read this and we'll close. Verse, uh, verse 1 of Revelation 20. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven. Holding his hand, the key to the bottomless pit in, in a great chain. And he sees the dragon, that ancient, ancient serpent who, who is the devil and Satan. And bound him for a thousand years and threw him into a pit and shut it and sealed it over him. So that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. And after that he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones and seated on them were those who, whom, the, whom the authority to judge was committed and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark in their foreheads or in their heads. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. And when the thousand years ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Amen. And then this is what it is. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the lost, those who rejected Christ, great and small, kings, paupers, famous people, rich people, poor people, great and small, all of them who rejected Christ stand before the throne. And the books of God were open. And then another book was open, which was the book of life. And the, judge, the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done, a book of works. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and hell gave up the dead that were in them. And they were all judged, each one of them, one by one, according to what they had done. And after it was all over, death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. All of it was done away with. Death was gone. Hell was gone. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And here's the tragic story for those who reject Christ. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, they too were thrown in the lake of fire to be tormented with Satan and the beast day and night forever and ever. I pray that every person in this room is on the unstoppable victor's side. I pray that at some point in your life, you have surrendered your life to Christ. And I pray that if you have, you're encouraged this morning, knowing that, man, there is nothing Satan can do to touch us. I mean, he, he can do what he did to Job, but, man, ultimately, we are going to rule and reign. We are going to spend eternity with our unstoppable victor. No matter what happens to this earthly body, 
And I pray that you're encouraged to keep battling. It's worth it. These lost souls, man, it's worth it to keep battling. It's worth it to face the attacks. It's worth it to go through the difficult times and the difficult ministry. It's all worth it. The love of Christ compels us. It controls us. It's all worth it. Keep pressing toward the mark. But if you're not on the unstoppable king's side, if there's not been a time in your life where you know 100% my life changed, I surrender my life to Christ. My life has changed. I realized that I was a sinner. I realized that God sent Jesus to die on a cross for my sins, to pay for my sins. He was put in a grave. Three days later, he rose again, the unstoppable victor. He, he offers life and gives life alone if I put my faith in him alone, if I surrender my life to him alone. If there's never been a time you've done that, then I'm telling you and warning you this morning, what we just read in Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, is your destiny. If anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. If you don't trust Christ today, it may be your last opportunity. And this will be your end forever. And so I pray that before you leave today, at this invitation that we're about to have, that you'll come down here and say, what do I need to do? I want to spend eternity with God, and I don't want to spend eternity being tormented day and night forever and ever. I beg you to do that today. Do it before you leave this place. But Christians, be encouraged. Have joy. We're on the winning side. And we're on the winning side together. The battle is not with each other. We have a clear and present enemy. His name's Satan. Let's not be tools that he uses to attack God's plan. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for all you do. Thank you for the truths that you give us in your word. Thank you for the hope and the help, the strength, the instruction, the conviction. Thank you for everything that you've given us in your word. Thank you for your spirit that moves and, and does the work in our lives. And Lord, I pray that you would do that. Lord, that we would, as your people this morning, be encouraged. That we'd remember that we are facing an enemy that is relentless. He, he's not willing to stop. He didn't stop uh, when he came against you. He didn't stop when he came against Paul. He hasn't stopped for thousands and thousands of years. He's not going to stop until he's finally thrown at the lake of fire. We, we understand that. We know that. But, and that can be discouraging unless we remember that we're on the side of the unstoppable victor. And Lord, I pray that we'd remember that day and night, that we would, in those moments where we feel frail, where we feel weak, where we feel like the attack is just overbearing, that we would press into you even more, knowing that we don't have the strength, that you have the strength that we need. And Lord, we know that your word tells us that, that your strength is perfect when our strength is gone. And Lord, I pray that we would, we would turn to you. We'd rely on you. We'd stand firm in our faith in you. And God, you would get victory in our lives and through our lives. Pray you move now as we respond in this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'll stand as he sings, I want to encourage you to.